0: Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. Welcome to the Meta Hour with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. It's a great delight to be with you all again. I've had really interesting conversations with different groups of people most recently, a group of international humanitarian aid workers who are really stymied. They're unable to get back into the camps or their normal means of trying to make a difference are all gone right now. And they feel kind of helpless and frustrated as well as they have their own individual or family situations. You know, there were people on the Zoom from India and Africa and all over Europe, as well as different places in the States. And something they told me that had been very helpful for them from previous sessions that they had done with different people was right at the very end of whoever was presenting, they all got to say to themselves and one another, welcome to the human race because people were pretty upset about the level of despair they were feeling or concern, or uh, I think most particularly that sense of helplessness. And, and that's something that's really been fascinating me lately, how I feel from my own experience in meditation and teaching so many people that if we can sit with some of the really disconcerting emotions, like anxiety, fear, grief, and just be able to take a look at them, we so often find a kernel of the sense of helplessness inside. And if we can address that by doing one seemingly small thing, reaching out to somebody or, um, interestingly enough, on that same conversation... Because these are very active doing people who, who want excellence in everything that they do and they want to make a difference. They want to make a difference that can be measured. Uh, they want to be able to see it. Uh, it was interesting for them to talk about how difficult it was for them to receive and, and to be vulnerable in some way and to express vulnerability. And we, we agreed that you don't want to, Maybe disclose your vulnerability to everybody. It's not appropriate in every context, but there's something so truthful about it and so authentic that it it brings to brings to mind that whole section in the course I did for you all on authenticity and what it's like when we feel kind of pretense or armoring or in this situation. Uh, the normal sort of um, persona we may put on as we are so accustomed to having a kind of divided life. I'm one person at work and I'm another person at home. But like, what does that mean now? Um, when we, we look for that place of integration, of wholeness and authenticity, which includes admitting at least to ourselves and, and hopefully to others when appropriate a kind of vulnerability that that's not weakness it's it's strength it's honesty and i've seen in for example observing communications work between staff at, at some employment place where somebody might start off talking to somebody else and saying uh, you never pay attention to anybody you're just you know conceited something like that And that person making the accusation, which of course is not well-received, the person making the accusation was kind of guided through a process of, well, what did you want? What were you hoping for? Let's say this again in I language, not accusing them, like you're never. And never apparently is not a good word to ever say because it's it rigidifies something and denies the truth of impermanence. But when somebody says, you never pay attention to anybody else there's a hidden message in there which is i wanted something from you that i didn't get and this person was guided i think very skillfully no blame or or self-judgment to actually be able to say and reveal that hidden message which is something like i have still wanted to be close to you and when you walked by and you ignored me i just thought that's the end of of that hope or something like that and and it was, in my eyes, it was so beautiful because it was so truthful. It was like, oh, that's what they are actually trying to convey. And so there's something about that process. And then, of course, you decide if in this context or that context, it's appropriate to get down to that level. But there's something about honoring it that is really very important. And, and that has to do with receiving for this particular group of people who are not usually in that position. And considered it a weakness and a fault that they should be out really making a difference in the world or succeeding in their organization and, and which meant status or position or, or something like that. And, and it was a little akin to what we talked about before, like really looking much more deeply. What do I want? What is my, my overriding motivation or intention and to, manifest in a certain way well what might that look like here in this circumstance that we find ourselves in right now it doesn't mean you want to blunt your aspiration or make it smaller or somehow make it meager or or ineffectual it's not that at all usually we want to make it bigger right if you want to uh have a certain status or you want to succeed at work what is the kernel in there maybe it's i want to be a leader. I want to make a difference, or I want to make other people's day better, or I want to be remembered in in a certain way. And that has a manifestation right here and now, whatever our circumstance is. And, and it's important to come to that. I often talk about the, the founding of the retreat center, which is next door to my house, where I am right now, in Barry, Massachusetts, when we were Extremely young, and this was 1975. Actually, when we first went to look at the property, and uh, ended up purchasing through the nonprofit we'd founded, um, this Catholic novitiate, which was enormous, and because it was a novitiate, it was a very it, quirky kind of building where they had like a. There is still a one lane bowling alley. There. In fact, the Dalai Lama, when he came to visit us in 1979, he went bowling there because we still had it set up. Now the bowling pins are gone. We, we inherited like a whole room of bowling shoes and things like that. Uh, a candle making factory, a swimming pool, which we filled in. And, you know, so we went to look at this property and, and we couldn't decide what to do because it was so unclear what, how many people would ever be interested in meditation in this country or. This form of meditation, and it seems so big. It, it sleeps about a hundred people. And we went to downtown Barry, which is a very traditional New England town, for lunch. And there's a town green in the center of town. And in those days, there was a monument on the town green, which had the Barry town motto engraved upon it, which is "tranquil and alert." Tranquil and alert. So we took a look at that and we said, okay, that's an omen. Any town that has a motto like Tranquil and Alert should have a meditation center in it because it is what we talk about all the time in meditation. We're deepening tranquility and calm and peace, and we're strengthening energy and alertness and interest, and it's both. We're bringing them into balance. And so we went ahead and did it. So the main part of the building, it was built in stages, was built as a private home as a mansion by somebody who was at one point, the Lieutenant governor of Massachusetts, his name is Colonel Gaston, Was Colonel Gaston. And it turns out Colonel Gaston had his own motto that he wanted to live by, which was, you should live every day so you can look any damn man in the eye and tell him to go to hell. I think I tell those stories in juxtaposition because I think we often do have a motto. We have something that's like our North star. And sometimes it's too small. We really need to expand that. And certainly we need to know how that can be true, can be real day by day uh, in this situation, in my choices, um, in my decisions, in who I, as an example, something that's very pertinent in my mind right now. Who do I remember to thank? Like, what about that? You know, who do I just show appreciation for? We do live in a kind of belittling culture, which is another thing that's in the, the challenge context. Um, and what's it like when we, we turn that around and we show some appreciation for others and we allow others to show appreciation for us, which honestly for many people is quite a bit harder than that extension of, of generosity or caring. So uh, we're working with unfreezing patterns so that they're not so rigid, they're not so strongly held. We can allow the flow of our intention outward. We can receive in a better way. That's the real balance. I mean, work-life balance, I don't know anything about that being actualized ever. You know, and a lot of people were kind of decrying that anyway. Um, even before this crisis, but to have this kind of balance <clears throat> and to come back to balance of giving and receiving, of being authentic, of being honest, um, is the tremendous possibility that is held even in, in these really terrible circumstances. So why don't we practice together some, okay? You can sit comfortably, close your eyes or not. And I'm going to offer a few different alternatives in terms of the breath. In the ordinary course of meditation, we say, just breathe naturally. And just notice how you're breathing. You don't have to try to make your breath deeper or different. I also say, given current neuroscience and understanding of stress and trauma and so on, that there are ways of manipulating, you could say, the breath that will actually calm down, talk about balance, it will actually calm down your sympathetic nervous system and strengthen your parasympathetic nervous system so you will feel anxiety decrease, things like that. And those largely involve having your out-breath be somewhat longer than your in-breath. They also can involve, if it works for you, to have a period once you've breathed in of holding your breath for a few seconds and then breathing out. But the most important thing is that the out-breath be longer than the in-breath. So depending on the rhythm of your breath and what seems right to you, you might breathe in to the count of one, two, Three, four, hold for two, and then breathe out. One, two, three, four, five. It might be two as you breathe in. Hold for one, breathe out for three or four. It's really up to you. So that is something that's a great tool to have in hand to remember, especially if anxiety is high. And you will feel just your whole system starts to come down. Because remember, this is a, this is like a biology also. You know, it's not just having a cognitive reframing of, of our situation. It's actually addressing our nervous system. Okay, so let's settle our attention on the feeling of the breath, either just the normal natural breath or experiment with this kind of breathing where your out-breath is longer in the in-breath and perhaps there's a, a short period of holding in between And if you find your attention wandering, you get lost in thought, spun out in a fantasy, or you fall asleep, don't worry about it. Remember the most important moment in the whole process is the next moment after you've been gone, after you've been lost. We practice letting go. You practice beginning again. Just bring your attention back to the feeling of the breath. that process of letting go, it's as though you were holding a bird in your hand and you let it fly away or a balloon and you release it. You don't have to judge yourself or have rancor towards yourself. Whatever's distracted you, you can simply let it go gently. Bring your attention back to the feeling of the breath. You can feel sometimes when you're out of balance, when you're anticipating the next breath too much or what you're going to do next after the meditation. And if so, settle back. You can deepen the relaxation. Just let the breath come to you. And sometimes you're too far back. It's... It's too boring, you couldn't care less what the breath feels like, and kind of come forward a little bit in your mind with a sense of engagement, wanting to feel just one breath. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes, lift your gaze, and we'll end the meditation session. So, thank you so much. I just wanna really urge you to see if you can do the even just like a little bit of meditation practice sitting or walking or lying down each day and then remember those moments, just short moments many times, feeling the warmth of the teacup or breathing when you are about to have a phone call or I don't know if we do that anymore zooming. <laughs> whatever we do. And uh, just taking a few moments. There's a a nice bit of research, which I think I mentioned before, from University of North Carolina, this woman, Barbara Fredrickson, about just that, people who practice mindfulness for like a few moments here and there and finding some very powerful effects just from that. So we have time probably for one question, or I'm curious if anybody tried that kind of breathing. Uh, where the out-breath was intentionally longer than the in-breath and how that was for you. Uh, I did try that type of breath, and I was concerned that I would fall asleep because I actually use that technique of the longer out-breath when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm having trouble falling asleep because I can't stop thinking, and it's really effective. Uh, But for whatever reason this time, uh, I was able to pay attention to the breath and, and not feel sleepy. So success. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's amazingly effective and it's so accessible, you know, just to kind of calm down your system. And I honestly, you know, there are times when uh, we struggle, you know, with what we believe and and the kind of context we find ourselves in and um, what we think about what we should be feeling or not feeling. and, And we forget that our nervous system is involved here, too. Um, I saw that, you know, working as I have some with people who've been affected by gun violence and, um, sometimes really blaming themselves for years later, feeling the effect of the trauma. And, uh, I was with somebody once and there was a presentation, even kind of, it's pretty dry presentation about the vagus nerve and, you know, and, and, and the woman that I was with who lost her son, um, in a shooting, she lit up and she came to me and she said, it's just my nervous system. You know, that's, and, and that was like so reassuring for her that she wasn't a bad person or, you know, a weak person. It's our nervous system too, as well as, you know, everything else that might be involved that we shouldn't neglect. And it's not always a hard fix, you know, to at least temporarily come to a better balance. It's not a bad thing to try if you can't go to sleep, but I', mean, I didn't come to think of it. It's a great reminder. Somebody wrote in the chat that they had heard about it before and tried it, but wasn't clear about the reasoning. So that's the reasoning. And um, I would urge you to try it and just see what happens. Okay, thank you so much. Take care. Hey folks. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at sharonsalzburg.com.